Hopefully people listening to this now at least have a little bit of confidence in being able to tell people like, there's not anything wrong with you. (laughs) Your body is taking a little bit longer to write this sort of energy mismatch and write itself, basically. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. We have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And our second mission is to create a community and foster the education of those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill those missions. And if you're one of our six listeners who enjoy the show, do us a favor, give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible. In fact, pause this right now, scroll down, click that five star, give us a nice little review, boom, duty fulfilled. To learn more about Clinical Athlete, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com, join the free Kalu community Facebook group where we do journal clubs and case studies and student calls and just awesome discussions going on in there every single day. That link is in the show notes. And registration for the 2021 virtual Kalu Summit is open. Tickets are flying off the shelves. It's September 10th through the 12th, and the speaker lineup is incredible. You can find uh, details with the link in the show notes to the Kalu Summit. You can read all about the presentations, and the event details are all there for you. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. Welcome back to another edition of the Kalu Clinical Files, where myself and Steph Allen hash out that clinician life. We discuss real cases, clinical topics, questions, just the nuts and bolts of real-world application of physical rehab, exercise prescription, and of course, keeping our critical thinking hats on. In this episode, I share a case of mine working with a barbell sport athlete who is dealing with post-concussive symptoms and came to me having trouble getting back into training. So I had a great conversation with Steph about how I managed the training of this athlete and, and what we did working together. And uh, I definitely came away having learned a bunch of stuff from having the conversation with Steph. So we hope you enjoy. So you gave a background on, on where you come from and kind of like your population. And even though I'll give a background on myself as well, which seems kind of weird because you would think people know, but I don't actually talk about really what I do on the day-to-day all that much. Um, my office what do is, you do, Quinn? Well, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of stuff like stuff like this mostly. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, but <laughs> but it, clinically, uh, my office is inside of a weightlifting gym and like competitive weightlifting, the sport of weightlifting, snatch and clean and jerk. And we get athletes team sport athletes, individual sport athletes who are using that type of training for their, to augment their sport, but largely barbell sport athletes. And, and um, so it's, it's fun. I like it because I like that stuff anyway, but also it's cool because the sport, the training and the practice is like basically the sport also. And um, as unpredictable as rehab is, you have, I think you're in more control when you're working with a barbell sport athlete because the barbell is not going to jump out and take your knee out, and it's not an unpredictable environment. Like You know what you're going after. It's more of just like finding the, the movement variations, 
that are appropriate for the person and then just kind of the overall uh, workload. But so that's the kind of population that I mostly work with are people who are um, in kind of the barbell sport realm. And um, so my case is uh, a female weightlifter, powerlifter, strongman competitor, owns a gym, professional coach. So, you know, she eats, breathes, lives this stuff. And she uh, came coming back from a concussion. So she had, a, she had an accident and she got uh, good physical therapy, post-concussion, um, good rehab. She came to see me, I think, six months after the accident, but was still having uh, post-concussive issues. And, um, but was discharged from PT. So like, PT did his job, daily life is feeling good, uh, but now it wants to get back to training. And what she's finding is that she can't do a whole lot from an exertion standpoint, like she used to be able to, and from a, a, like just an external load standpoint. And then also some positions are provocative, regardless of the load, sustained positions, like laying down for a bench press and stuff like that. So she's finding all of these kind of like boundaries within her training that can't really get touched with the, with the PT that she was getting. So she's like, okay, they don't necessarily understand the barbell world. And that's why she came to me to see if we could figure out a plan to kind of get her past that little hump. Um, and so now I'm not really rehabbing because I'm, I'm by no means a, a any, any type of subject matter expert in anything concussion. Um, only maybe from experience, like using my head as a battering ram for years on the football field. But so what we did, basically my consult with her was figuring out all of these different thresholds because she wants to do, like think of all these movements in strongman powerlifting, weightlifting. There's a lot of stuff. Strongman's basically CrossFit for strong people. <laughs> that was like a uh, backhanded, that was like a knock on CrossFit. Um, they do a lot of different things and it's a lot of it's unpredictable. Jake and, Manley's going to be mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said for strong people though. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Jake's a strong, he's a strong CrossFitter. Um, and they need an engine. You know, powerlifting is, is not all that complicated and weightlifting is kind of in between. So, I'm just thinking about all these movements that she wants to get back to. And we started with, she, she can't squat. There's a certain threshold of squatting. Like once her symptoms flare, her symptoms are like headache, disorientation, mental fog, and fatigue. So classic kind of post-concussion. And they, when they come on, it's like, okay, the bucket overflowed today. Like the rest of the day is going to be garbage. That kind of thing. It doesn't just go away when she unracks the bar. And so that's like, it's almost like walking on eggshells is what she's finding is she doesn't know when it's going to happen, but she's getting back into the gym enough to start to see patterns, which is useful information for us. So it happens during back squats, if they're heavy enough, it happens during deadlifts, if they're heavy enough, um, she's kind of scared to do things like snatches and clean and jerks because they're dynamic and doesn't know how that kind of impact, you know, feet leaving and hitting the ground really hard and bar, you know, body snapping in place, how that's going to affect things. And then bench press, just being in that position, that supine position for a prolonged period, like when I say prolonged period, I mean like sets of five, she'll get, no matter the load, it's like a positional intolerance. So 
my thing with her in the initial, our initial consult was like figuring out all of these different boundary conditions. And because that's going to be how we dose some of these movements and that's going to clue me in on what our quote unquote MVP or minimal viable program is. Cause in my head, I'm just thinking, okay, post-concussion syndrome lasts as long as it's going to last. It's variable for everyone. Presentations are, are very, you know, it's a wide range of stuff that you're going to see. These symptoms are pretty, this is pretty textbook what we're dealing with. Um, but I don't know what her bandwidth is for consistent training. So we've just kind of, kind of figure that out from an exercise selection standpoint and anything. Cause otherwise everything else is good. There's no pain. This is, this is what we're dealing with is this kind of like onset of symptoms. Um, and in this case, it's like, it's hard to do graded, quote unquote, graded exposure because there's not a lot of warning when it's going to happen. She says like, she can start to feel a little tingly kind of body sensation and that's when, you, that's when she's like, I need to stop. It might still happen, but that's, that's the indication. But there's nothing coming preceding that. So it's, it comes on a wave. And then, like I said, once, it's, once it comes on, like that, the rest of the day or maybe even the next several days are going to be kind of recovery. Um, so that's what we're dealing with. And what I started with, I've got the, I've got the program in front of me. I'm just not to get into too much of kind of the nitty gritty of like the specific exercise selection if people are not familiar with some of these movements, but just from a principle standpoint, I incorporated some exercises that required her to create like trunk tension. So basically like, like core exercises, but the, the cue was that I want you to learn how to create like tension through your trunk like you would need to exert yourself, but while maintaining your breathing so that she's just not like, she doesn't feel like her head's going to pop because she said like the Valsalva is also a trigger. So let's start just like doing things that are going to cause some exertion and just intra, just intra pressure, but that you can still kind of modulate a lot easier than having to navigate that plus having a bar on your back or, or something like this. So each day we had, I had like, um, like a plank variation where, you know, it's a pretty, I mean, if you do these movements, your abs are going to burn all these things. But the, the key was like maintain, create in, in, intra-body pressure, maintain your breathing pattern, try to get used to exerting yourself again. Um, and so that it was three days a week that we were training in the gym and we had exercises like this, like quadruped holds where she walks her hands out like a little further, almost like an isometric barbell rollout, but she's just on hands and knees. Um, did the same thing with like a physio ball, kind of walk the ball forward. So she's holding kind of like an inclined plank with an increased lever. Arms are kind of over her head and she's just holding that position. Um, so just stuff like that. That was like to start the day. That was to start the training session, just to get her um, quote-unquote juices flowing and then from there the lifts i nothing strong man like conditioning um because i do think i do think getting your like uh, cardio back up and just energy systems in general for a strong man and just like blood just just exercise and fitness and cardiovascular fitness i think is important um in this particular population um but that was like steady state two to three days a week like get on the bike, RPE five, 
let's just get a, get a sweat going, keep a conversational pace, that type of steady state. Um, so Strongman is kind of out, was out right now because I didn't see any reason to add some type of metabolic demand when just the movements by themselves were an issue. So I focused on kind of the core movements of weightlifting and powerlifting. And for the weightlifting derivatives, chose variations that were non-impactful, where she, non-ballistic, where she's not actually leaving the ground. Um, and she can modulate the intent of the movement. So instead of doing like full snatches, we do what's called like a muscle snatch, where you basically just keep your feet on the ground and you extend all the way up, but you don't you don't snap your body underneath the bar to catch it. You stay extended. Um, so you can still like practice f f powerful extension, but there's not as much jostling and change of direction of your body, if that makes sense. And then um, for bench press, we kept things to like on the minute uh, doubles and singles so that she wasn't in the position for a prolonged period of time, but she was just able to break up and we were on the minute work allowed us to accrue some some volume and it got her a groove kept her feeling like she was training even though we had to keep the weight light um and we cut we did the same thing for for squatting so basically the volume was really low my intensity prescriptions were were completely open because I don't know what her threshold is and I, we needed to establish that in the beginning. So what I told her was we literally need to do something. So if I program three sets of three muscle snatch, start with the bar. And if you end up staying with the empty bar for literally every one of these exercises today, fine. Because if you feel great, that's a starting point. And that's, that's kind of where we were from, from that standpoint. And then I did throw in, I don't, this is the last thing I'll say before I shut up and see if you have any questions, but I did throw in some four-way banded isometric uh, neck, neck isometric holds. So she just anchored a band to a door and we did um, two sets of 30 seconds in all four directions. I, I did that. It's, it's kind of this like association between neck strength and, and uh, post-concussive symptoms or, or reducing the risk of concussion in general where we're past that point. Um, and she's not a field support athlete where she's taken blows, but somebody, you know, six months removed from this injury, just even the process of like feeling some tension going through the head and neck and being okay with that, regardless of what, you know, strengthening we're, we're doing, I think that process um, was important. And so I threw those in. And I also threw in back extensions. Yeah, because like strong backs are cool and stuff, but. The back, like the bottom of the back extension puts her perpendicular to the ground with her head down towards the ground. And like what I thought to myself is almost like a graded exposure of blood rushing to her head with every repetition. It's just kind of being okay with that as well because it seemed like that that was an issue. So she can kind of get used to not only getting her back and hamstring some load, but also getting used to just being inverted and some of, doing some of these things too. Um, so that was our MVP program and it was like four or five movements a day. Everything was super low volume. These sessions took about 60 minutes. I had her tell me how long they took. I had her rate the session RP at the end of each session. So they were all like session RPEs of three or four. Um, and, and sessions lasting like 50 to 60 minutes. And, um, 
So I'll throw it to you now. Sorry. No, that's, it's interesting because I think a lot of people don't really know. So I'll back up a sec. So Zach and I actually, um, Zach sees post-concussive patients still like more often than I do. But two years ago, we actually went through the, um, CCMI certification and which is an awesome program by the way, but a lot of misconceptions and myths were totally busted going through that. And I learned a crap ton, but two things stood out for me that, that you said that I definitely would have, you know, now knowing what I know from that, that I definitely would have done. One is the, the cardiac base. So essentially when people get a concussion it is an energy mismatch. So there's, and it's, it's your brain basically now requiring a lot more ATP or energy that it, that your body can't keep up with. So it, it ends up in this myriad of like weird symptoms for different people. Like everybody, it's slightly different. Um, so her, she had like tingly or almost like an aura type feeling before symptoms would come on. Like I've heard that before. Um, so 100%, whether it was whether it's like a walking program or something like that, depending on the person's sport, like some sort of cardiac base basically is, unless you determine that it has something more cervical or vestibular in nature, which again, she wasn't describing it probably at the point that she came to see you, those things were ruled out. Um, right. So my, my one question on potentially the cardiac side was, do you know that if anybody that she had seen prior to coming to you had done something like a structured Buffalo treadmill test? I don't think they did. Okay. I'll have to look at my notes, but I, I don't think um, there was much of that at all. Well, and based on what you were saying, she probably wouldn't have necessarily, she may not have tolerated that well, depending on how easily with exertion she was getting her symptoms still. So sometimes people aren't really even ready for the test itself. Yeah, well, and I mean... F- Six months later, it's it's probably something that would have been that would would have been good uh, for me to do. I'm still programming for her. I mean, hell, we could do it now. She she could do it you easily know. on her own. Yeah, like the the directions are pretty, and you don't have to be super. I mean, the the actual full way is to also do like pull socks and stuff like that during, but it's mostly you know going up in incline each minute and reporting symptoms each minute, and then if you get to whatever it is, 15 on the treadmill, um, then you can go up by a certain speed each time. Um, but it is very much so like if you gave them the directions, they could probably do it themselves. Um, but it might be interesting for her as far as from like a, it might even help you program the cardiac output side. Yeah, definitely. And this was a, this is all remote too. I, I didn't, I don't think I mentioned that if that adds context for people as yeah. well, but, um, for sure. And I was, and I've have been, so it's been, I've been programming for her for about 12 weeks now and things are going super well. Um, those okay. first, that first month was up and down kind of figuring out what she can handle and what she can't, but we actually think we're kind of past to start at the end here. We're, I think we're kind of past her symptoms. She's like training pretty hard. I'm um, doing really well. Mm-hmm.
Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Here is your quick brain break from our Kalu Clinical Files conversation. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet for the virtual 2021 Kalu Summit, get on that. The link is in the show notes. Our lowest prices are going fast, and you're going to have some serious FOMO if you don't join the fun. We'll see you there, and back to the show. How much do you think for someone like her, it was more of a... Because let's assume that most PTs or providers aren't necessarily, and I'm sure that's why she ended up coming to you, they don't have a, a full understanding of barbell sports and what's required. So how much do you think for her, not that everything is psychological, but being able to do things in a very graded exposure way, but with her sport, like with a bar in the gym, like all those other contexts, um, how much do you feel like it was that versus like just natural history of concussion or both? Probably both. I think, I think in cases like this, having some guidance is nice to just like off to get that off your plate. Cause sometimes like, especially if you are, and she's a coach, like, Oh, I can do this myself and program myself. And like, it's that's stressful too sometimes. And, and what she was telling me was like her, her training was super just kind of random. So she would go into the gym, push something too hard and then just leave. Like you get frustrated. So it was like that whole thing. There was no structure. It was very inconsistent. Um, some movements she just wasn't doing cause she didn't know. So I think just having somebody there to listen and to, to kind of help guide the process and, and, you know, is huge and that probably provides a lot of confidence and reassurance and takes some stress off of her and that helps her tolerance as well and so um yeah i think it's i think all of that as a combination because our program like i'll just read off the first week was like bare position rollout the that little like tension exercise muscle snatches back squats, bench press, neck ISO. Day two, uh, same walkout exercise, muscle clean, push press with a pause, deadlifts on the minute, belt squats, back extensions. And day three was that same walkout drill and then heaving snatch balances where you're not moving your feet but you're starting to add a little bit of speed to the snatchy position, front squats, bench press, neck ISOs. That's what we started with. I mean, it's just, it was like a beginner's weightlifting program. The, the key here was that we were in communication after every single session to, to see how that like trend line was going as far as, far as symptoms. Um, and from there, I just started to kind of layer on more kind of ballistic and, and dynamic stuff as I was seeing her progress or, or at least just handle the sessions like we weren't having our our setback you weren't hitting that like overflowed state cool so we rolled with that for like three weeks and then muscle snatches turned into power snatches plus overhead squats muscle cleans turned into power cleans so you're moving your feet now you're changing levels and um squats and, and bench just got heavier she was able to do more of that. So, I mean, 
super duper basic stuff. So it certainly was no magic in the exercises. And then the yeah. cardio, like she was handling a lot of that herself, to be honest. Um, Cause when we first did our consult, she was like, yeah, I've been getting on the bike. And I said, Oh, that's good. Okay. Tell me what you've been doing. And then we just kind of like made it a little bit more structured where she did like 20 to 30 minutes of steady state, uh, two to three days a week. Yeah. And I was just kind of letting her roll with that. I think it's also one of the things that I feel like I wish that I knew earlier was, or had confidence in was actually telling people that yes, actually physical therapists are more than capable of working with concussive type symptoms or, you know, post concussive syndrome and B it's not, you're not like abnormal for having prolonged symptoms. It's really not that uncommon to have some kind of residual stuff going on for something beyond those three to four weeks after injury. So I think that, you know, not just going through the course, but just being a clinician for a little while and working with different people, you know, and obviously taking the course, but I think you also have a little bit of that, you know, I mean, I hope hopefully people listening to this now at least have a little bit of confidence in being able to tell people like, you know, there's not anything wrong with you. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. just like, you know, your body is taking a little bit longer to write this sort of energy mismatch and, and, you know, write itself basically. And there's, yeah, there's things we can do to potentially speed up that process. But it is one of those things where I'm feeling more and more confident in saying like, it just, we might need a little more time. Like we might just need, you know, not that we're going to do nothing in that process. In fact, it's good to expose yourself to some of these things that might be a little symptomatic, but you know, it is, it's just such a, I think it's in general in our society, something that people are like a little bit, you know, just like chronic neck or back pain. Yeah. You know, if it's something that is dealing with your neurological system, people freak out. And it's harder to just wrap your mind around from a contextual standpoint. Like when you break a bone, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, sense. yeah. And it like aches. And if it aches six months later, you're still kind of like, yeah, it did snap in two. It looks pretty <laughs> gross. So like, I get yeah. it. But when, but like with stuff like this, like you said, with these chronic, uh, pain conditions, it's, it's not really tangible and it's harder to understand. And the symptoms are just a little bit more kind of all over the place and, and less, less predictable. And, and so, yeah, I think you're right about that. And if, you know, we, again, this is three months from the initial consult. So like if we did a, a alternate universe, you know, counterfactual, what would have happened? Where would she be now? had she not worked with me at all and just kind of continued to work back into things very likely or likely she would be in a decent spot. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know? Um, So like I said, and to your point, I think just allowing her to offload some of that stress to somebody else, knowing that she has somebody else kind of in her corner is huge. And obviously that's not just specific to post-concussion. And I think that's a lot of our job is just being that person in, in the person's corner that knowing they have somebody like that is really powerful. Yeah, totally. I have one quick question on her. How did, how did she sleep? Sleep was pretty good. Sleep was good. So laying down or is it she, only on her back? 
It was only, yeah, it was only supine. Okay. So she was able to sleep in other positions. So I don't know why I couldn't get that out of my head. I was like, wait a second. Although I don't sleep on my back either, so. I don't either. Yeah, I can't do it. I sleep on my stomach with my, with my head cranked to one side. and my Same. Bo- <laughs> it's yeah, comfortable. I don't I'm care really what weird. anybody says. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually started sleeping the way I sleep right now when I tore my ACL. Because full extension, I was a stomach sleeper. So I was usually like pretty to the side, but I now will sleep on my stomach with one leg, like my old, like my surgery leg, like in a figure four. Yeah. Because full extension didn't feel good. Right. But I, but I wanted to sleep on my stomach. That brain map. Very weird. Changed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fun. that's, so that's that. And, and she's doing super well. Um, Good. I'd say we're like, w- w- the question would be, okay, well, what, what would be the thing that she's now quote unquote clear to do, say like uh, strongman stuff. And I say, I, th- I think we're actually at that point because we can, re- we can take all of these individual movements and say like, you can handle this. Now your limiting factor is just like performance, like it was. Like, are you strong enough to do the thing? Yeah. So, you know, what is just putting those components together now and more of a metabolic demand or, or something like that? You just, I think that she's got a much better foundation to begin to incorporate some of that stuff. Now, I won't be programming any of that. This will be a conversation because I don't know any about, anything about Strongman. I'm not going to pretend to. So um, <laughs> this will be a conversation for her and I to have uh, – very soon, you know, about, about working back into that and, and who's going to take that over. And, and, you know, it's very possible that my job here is, is going to be done soon. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's awesome because this was not that's what really, we want. Yeah. So like this, the expectation on, in this particular case was that let's, I want to get you to a, help you get to a certain point and then, um, you know, cut you loose. So I think we're I think we're almost there, which is cool. Yeah, I think the reason I like that one too is that it is a little bit unconventional, if you will, because I think there's still a decent amount of people out there that a don't even really know that post concussive syndrome in PT is a thing. They think you have to go to the doctor, and and this, these were misconceptions I had too before taking going through the course of like, you know limit light, limit screen. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. for a few days, but after that, you're really supposed to start to expose yourself and get back to doing some of these things. So that, and then also that, you know, she was a coach and an athlete and there were certain things positionally that for her sport she couldn't do. So there was some serious considerations from the, from the programming side. And I mean, if you're using principles to guide you, then you can do just fine. It doesn't have to be there's only one way to do things to treat concussion. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, it went well and I, you know, I learned a lot cause again, this is not, um, nowhere in my wheelhouse, which I was upfront about, you know, but I, I, I just thought that we were in a position where we could treat it a lot like training with just some narrow, a narrow bandwidth, um, and I was comfortable with that as a clinician, just within my skill set. I was, I was comfortable managing that. Had things been more rocky up and down, um, I would have likely 
you know, tag somebody in. So that's, you know, that's that. I tried to, but, you know, I'll look into some, some, some stuff here. Buffalo concussion treadmill test. There you go. Maybe it can be her, you know, her graduation test. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> cool. It is actually decently hard. Like when you get up to the, the higher inclines and speeds, like it's no joke. Yeah, I, it's been it's been years since since I have been exposed to it or seen it done, um, but I do recall. <laughs> I remember. It's not people's fun. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking me through that. That was helpful for me. Likewise, and thanks everyone for nerding out with us. Sweet. So the first clinical files, well, like I said, I don't know, like I'm talking to you or talking to the listeners, but I don't know yet. this ends up being two shows, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, They'll we know that we, we weren't decided before we came on. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. We, we were the trailblazers because Zach and Shelby exactly. are going second. So, <laughs> But do you also really think that they're going to keep it short? No. no. Do you know Zach? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plus, I think the first, I mean, I think from now on we probably can. Yeah. Like, no, like at least a little bit, but A, my internet crapped out for a second, and B, we were just kind of like dealing it I'm out. Just riffing, yeah. Yeah. So we might do cases, we might do like just qu- come in with like certain questions. Yeah, and, that's and what I was thinking too. Some things that like, because I feel like it happens all the time, and then we don't write it down or talk about it, and I'm like, that probably would have been a really good thing to dig a little deeper into, so. Yeah. Sometimes it'll pop into my head like months later and I'll be like, oh shit, I wa- was wanting to like look into that yeah. or talk, yeah. talk that out. Yeah, so you guys think this is about you, but really, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's for everybody. It is, bi- it is by osmosis. Like the more we learn, yeah. the more, you know, I, hopefully. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks for listening, listeners, and uh, we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this Clinical Files conversation with myself and Steph Allen. Lots more coming your way. And as always, thank you, the clinical athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. And one more time, go to the link in the show notes, get your ticket for the 2021 Virtual Calu Summit. It's going to be a blast. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.